Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from Xgrowth. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures, or as we like to call them, hard-learned lessons. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. That's enough from me though, let's dive right in. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with Xgrowth and today I'm talking to Cameron Buckley, ANZ Country Manager of Trustpilot, about the importance of how review platforms are helping B2B marketers build trust with their audiences and why there should be more attention from marketers in the region on this topic. On that note, let's dive in. Cameron, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Great to be here, Shane. No, absolute, absolute pleasure having you. I want to start, I want to start with trust because that's a word that's been thrown around quite a lot these days. And everybody's talking about, oh, we need to think about how we build trust. What is up with everybody talking about talking about this these days, in your opinion? Yeah, look, clearly trust isn't it. It's not a new topic. It's been kicking around as a, as a topic for, for many years over many different scenarios. But it's become a bit of a defining factor, if you like, for all marketers and sales professionals, whether they be in B2B or B2C. So building trust, I suppose, if you look at it in B2C relationships, is definitely something that's been covered very extensively, especially over the past few years with that hyper growth of e-com. But it isn't necessarily, um, necessarily discussed as regularly in the context of B2B sales and marketing and the importance of sort of building trust um, around the relationships and how to help our sort of targeted buyers purchase with greater confidence. So if we take a step back and we look at it holistically, we've seen this significant shift with the growth of consumers researching and, of course, buying online. But if you look at reputable sources like Edelman, who are a global communications agency, trust both globally and locally is now hit a record low. And they've been tracking their, their annual trust index for over 20 years now. So I had a look at their, their 2021 report, and I've been looking at their reports for the past decade or so. But what it's saying, it's, it's really highlighted that the index, be that across government, so institutions, which includes businesses, traditional media and social media have all dropped to record lows. So at that macro level, it's become harder for people in their different roles as consumers, citizens, voters, employees to know what or who to trust. So the next logical question is, where's this stemming from? And clearly a lot's been said and written about with you look at fake news. That's been a hot topic over the past few years for for obvious reasons, as has media censorship, how social platforms are using consumer data and pushing privacy barriers. So when you add all of this to the increased number of scams, cybercrime, and that sort of mysterious dark web that is getting coverage now, they've all been covered quite uh, extensively in terms of media exposure over the past few years. So the internet now is seen not only a place for information, but it's also a place for misinformation. Uh, which is sort of fueling this continued distrust. And I think sort of to wrap up this question, the, the dichotomy here is that on one hand, we've never been more reliant on the internet for sourcing information and purchasing goods and services. Yet on the other hand, trust has never been um, so low. 
Right. That's uh, yeah. That's a very interesting way of putting it. I mean, you're you're right. I mean, with all the things that are happening from from with COVID, people not really trusting the government or certain sectors at least or set certain segments of the of the society not trusting the the the, the government. The, the big social platforms, I mean, Facebook comes to mind, right? Like everybody talks about Facebook. It's very interesting. And, and, then, and then there's this rise in B2B to talk about trust. It's, um, it's, it's quite fascinating. Where do you think kind of review platforms or, or reviews in general fit into this discussion? Yeah, there's often a gap, um, Shaheen, between the way that businesses view themselves in terms of being trustworthy and then the way that consumers view them. So the role of reviews is that we sort of help bridge that trust gap that we referred to before. So there's a strong link between trust and consumer reviews from the perspective that buyers, as buyers, we often look to, to the wisdom of the crowd to help us buy with greater confidence and to, to give us that, that sense of confidence that we're making the right decision. Um, I'm sure you do that yourself when, you, when you're out there either in B2B or B2C. And so reviews are often, you know, they're only one component of that broader user-generated content category, which is helping us to satisfy our levels of trust before we make that final step and get the credit card out and insert our details and, and take, it, take the relationship to the next level. So one of our tech integration partners, Big Commerce, uh, they released some research earlier this year on the state of e-com across Australia and New Zealand. And they mentioned that at least 70% of ANZ consumers now read a review prior to making a purchase. So reviews now are seen as an essential part of that path of purchase for buyers, including B2B, where the purchases, when you think about it, they're often more complex, uh, they're more costly, the sales cycles are typically longer, and the consequences of getting it wrong are probably more severe. So putting it into context, if you think of if you're about to go buy, you know, or, or I suppose sign up with some IT partner, you know, if you make the wrong decision, correcting that decision can take you years to unravel and it can cost you millions. So there's a lot riding on it, including people's you know, professional uh, reputations when it comes to B2B. So if you think back to, to what, you know, your audience, anyone in your audience is selling in terms of B2B, uh, and more importantly, the decision-making process that the end buyer is going through, it's likely to involve a number of stakeholders and extensive sign-off, an extensive sign-off process. So depending on the size of the company you're in or the cost of what you're selling, it could include stakeholders like IT, procurement, finance, there's even steering committees, et cetera. So part of that process is the trust we place in in others recommendations or opinions before we put it to those other stakeholders etc but i think we're all acutely aware that as b2b marketers and salesperson people we actually often just turn to a limited number of case studies or client testimonials to share those customer stories or showcase a small selection of our of our wins so by adding reviews within that sort of broader marketing toolkit, it's a way of showcasing a genuine overall experience of your hundreds or sometimes even thousands of clients. And so you've got a, a more representative sample and the buyers pick up on that as well. So this ultimately will, will help you bridge that gap that we covered earlier by getting that that broader representation. Yeah, that's it's a very interesting point. I mean, I you're right. I mean, anytime 
there there are certain instances that I review, look at reviews, right? And it's um, I find myself going through reviews when, and and I'm talking specifically in the B two B context when something sounds too good to be true. For some reason, I'm like my my. I get very cynical, and I'm like, is this is this, what is going on here? This sounds too good to be true, and then it's like, it's like either the name of the company, uh, space reviews, or sometimes if I'm really cynical, it's like name of the company slash uh, space spam or or scam that I that I type in 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 in, uh, in Google to kind of get some get get a sense of it. But where does you know like a lot of people complain about reviews being fake, right? I mean that's that's a complaint that that comes up um, a lot in in this space. And before getting into the topic of like how especially B two B marketers need to think about reviews and, and and tackle it and why it's it's important, what is? Can you give us a little bit of an overview of like what is happening in the review space? Because I know a lot of companies are trying to battle that 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 whole fake review kind of label. What is happening on that front? Yeah, in terms of fake reviews, there's two types of review platforms out there. So there's an open review platform and a closed review platform. So if you look at um, Trustpilot, we we subscribe to being an open review platform, and this addresses the whole topic around trust and fake. And the theory there is that um, that we actually see you know both the businesses and consumers as being of equal importance, mm. right? So, you know, trust is in the name of the business and it's in our DNA, et cetera. But we have to get trust on both sides. So we have to be impartial in that sense. And, and what we mean by that is, you know, we go to, to great lengths and, and open review platforms tend to just to make sure that, you know, both businesses, businesses and consumers are represented equally, as I've touched on before. So, you know, in terms of that, an open review platform what it does is it brings in a, a level of, of independence and authenticity right. as well. So with a closed review platform, what you've got in that scenario is it looks like the business, there's no symbol of authenticity or independence that, that comes with the review. So sometimes people, as you touched on before, can be a little bit cynical because there's not a third party that's inserted themselves in there. So it can look like that they are controlling the review. So, yeah, they're, they're two distinct types in terms of the, the way that you view reviews, either open or closed platform Got it. Uh, is probably where. And look, I, I, you touched on it before, Shaheen, just around, around that scepticism. If something looks a little bit too glossy and curated, then, you know, sometimes uh, the defense mechanism can come up and you can be a little bit suspicious. And you know, I mentioned before Big Commerce, one of our integration partners around their, their research with Australian and New Zealand consumers. And what they found in this was that 72% of Australian and New Zealand consumers prefer to see a realistic mix of positive and negative reviews. And, and I think you, the way that you just described it before, for, for those reasons, you can be a little bit cynical or sceptical if, if there isn't a balance. Can you give us a bit of a picture? Because Trustpilot is an international company, right? You you operate in multiple di- different geographies, and, and we touched on the importance of you know why why B two B marketers kind of need to look into that. Before I I, I want to touch on you know the kind of level of maturities that you see in different geographies. But before we go there, is there is there anything else with regards to 
you know, B2B, basically talking about why B2B moniker, because I feel like some B2B monikers are like, you know, why should I care about reviews? I'm, you know, I'm in the B2B space and maybe that's more of a B2C play to kind of get reviews and people to write reviews to, uh, to get more customers. Is there, is there anything on that point that you want to elaborate before we touch on the, um, the, the maturity of different geographies? Yeah, I probably touched on it before, which is around, you know, if you make a, a poor decision in B2B, mm. then it, it can be more catastrophic. You know, if you're purchasing a jumper or a shirt, et cetera, and it doesn't work out so well, then so be it. You can buy another one, yeah. right? It's all based on the value, the price, et cetera. Whereas in B2B, if you make, like as I touched on before, if you make a poor decision around the MarTech stack, which is, you know, very much uh, ingrained in your overall business strategy or you make a poor decision on the e-com platform that you're going to use or whatever it may be in that, that B2B space, again, your, your professional reputation's on the line and, and it, it's hard to unwind, yeah. right? Yeah. It's cost, costly across many different measures. So that's sort of looking at it from the buyer's perspective. But whether you buyer or seller, I suppose you have to look at it from the buyer's perspective because, you know, you need to insert yourself into their shoes. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot. It doesn't matter whether it's B2B or B2C. And our client base is, is broad. You know, we've had over, over sort of 500,000 different websites that have used, used Trustpilot. And it is a, it is a mix of both. So, but irrespective of that, I think the benefits, it benefits the buyers if we sort of touch on that in that they feel a greater comfort from that wisdom of the crowd. In it. And what we do with, with the, the, the reviews, again, going back to open or closed platform, is each review we will flag whether it's um, organic, so they've left that review on their own initiative, whether it's invited, which means that they've been sort of more selected to leave a review, or, and the most important one is it's verified, which is it's automatically triggered through a system once a purchase or there's some other event occurring. So it just naturally happens at certain stages, which is set up. So all of that, that sort of that verified reviews mean that um, consumers, again, you get a far more representative, less hand-selected or curated sample. And B2B buyers will, will be attracted to that because um, they know that, it's, again, it's, uh, it's authentic. So ultimately, the, it benefits the buyer, but it also benefits the seller in that it'll help dilute that scepticism that you touched on. They know that there's a reputable third party that's been inserted, inserted. And the other part, again, going back to, to sort of fake reviews that you touched on. So businesses also like to know that if they've been intentionally misrepresented, that they have a course of action. In the context of reviews, if someone leaves a review that isn't based on a real experience, so they're not a genuine customer, that business can flag that as being an issue. And so whilst we don't moderate reviews or allow businesses to do so, because everyone loses trust, that trust gets further diluted. If if there is something that breaches the guidelines, then we'll investigate it and, and there can be sort of courses of action there. So that's important from a B2B perspective because clearly reputation is is paramount. Um, so that really helps. And look, there, there's other other benefits for B2B market marketers, more so from you know that sort of more practical marketing side of things which is third-party review platforms will, will help with um, improved performance marketing. So you're probably familiar with uh, Google Seller Ratings, so the, the little yellow stars that appear in your, in your ads. 
So they can improve click-through rates quite considerably and there's a lot of research. So if you're spending money in the B2B space, you obviously want to improve improve your, your CTRs, so they will help. You know, if you think about reviews, again, that they're considered to be UCG gold or SEO gold as well. So it, it really helps in that sense. And everyone talks about the voice of the customer now. Like how do we get a, a unfiltered view of our customers? And, of course, there's NPS and there's various other measures, customer satisfaction scores. But reviews are, are definitely part of that in the B2B space as well because you will get an unfiltered real-time sort of sense of how you're performing on any given day, week, et cetera. And, you know, we certainly we certainly encourage people not just to look at the score and how many reviews, but use all of that qualitative research as well to start digging in and getting the insights around your products, your performance, your people, how you're going, and filter that back in across your organisation. You know, whether you're from the intern all the way to the CEO, mm. everyone get that gets that visibility. And, you know, that's important for B2C, but it's equally important for, for B2B. That, that's, that's, uh, that's a great point. One of the things that I always try to find out is what is happening in other markets, right? And I've, I've personally have had, uh, you know, like it's just worked really well for us. Uh, I, th- I think we... You know, I, I told you earlier we do a lot of like ABM work, and and that's our predominant focus at our at our agency. And the the way that came about was us studying the U.S. market and the U.K. market of understanding what is happening in that space and what what are people doing differently there. And when we kind of started he- hearing about this, this was probably you know five years ago. We started to adopt our methodologies and 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 uh, and, and and get ahead of the curve. So with regards, to, with regards to review platforms, right, what is happening right now in U.S. And, and, and U.K.? What are you seeing? What kind of trends do you see over there? Because I, I, I'd imagine whatever businesses are doing there in a couple of years, is gonna, it's going to spill over here and, and marketers need to be aware of that. What are you seeing in those markets in terms of how B2B marketers are leveraging these, uh, these rev- uh, the, in general review platforms? Yeah, it's interesting that as marketers, we, we often follow consumer trends such as, you know, being active on specific social platforms as that's where the, the customers are gravitating to. So that old saying, you know, you tend to fish where the fish are. And, and that's no different with reviews. So there's research that highlights that 89% of consumers in the, the U, US and UK and France read reviews, which is higher than what I mentioned before, that 70% in ANZ, which is already high. Right, but it's it's just gone up a little bit more. So in these sort of more mature markets, we've already seen this virality effect between consumer adoption and business adoption of reviews. So so how this works is if you think of the more consumers, clearly a per, more consumers are purchasing online. Right, that's a given now, right, out of necessity over the past twelve months, but 12, 12, 18 months, but that was increasing anyway. So the more that they're purchasing online more actually sharing their experiences through online platforms like reviews. And what this is happening there is what's happening there is this is creating greater insights for businesses. And then more businesses and marketers are then attracted to the platform. They then start inviting more of their customers to share their experiences. And essentially, you know, it goes on. 
you've got that social proofing where once you get more of your consumers that are leaving reviews, you start to share more of those reviews through your own digital assets. So your websites or your social platforms. And you know, from a business perspective, if you look at Trustpilot, we always have the Trustpilot logo as that symbol of trust or authenticity. And that, that then creates sort of that awareness and the interest and desire for both consumers and equally businesses to start having a look at that as well because it's it's triggered their thinking. So you've you've got this sort of virality or network effect that then sort of perpetually continues. So you've got that sort of sick uh, sort of that cycle that occurs. So from a from a marketing perspective, reviews in the the US and the UK, it's it's kind of become more seamless as part of that buying journey. So in that post purchase stage, consumers are they're actually invited to leave a review or after several months of using a piece of technology, they'll be asked to leave a review or if someone resolves a problem, you know, in their customer success center, et cetera, they're asked to leave a review. So it's just become sort of more second nature in these markets. And and what they're doing as well in, in those more mature markets, they're also harnessing reviews in their campaigns. They're using them as creative assets across their campaigns. So they're doing that more often than what we're seeing here. And it all relates back to this sort of social proofing and providing, you know, that third-party validation and letting their customers do the talking or the selling for them. What we're also seeing in these markets is they're mapping out the consumer journeys. They're probably a bit more sophisticated in that they understand the right time to harness the reviews in the and convert buyers. So they've sort of worked out the science of it. And I touched on before that importance of the insights piece. So Naturally, the longer that you you use a platform and become familiar with it, the more that you're going to ask out of that platform in terms of leveraging the insights and how that links back to your your products and your services and how you can further refine that. So yeah, definitely from in terms of that virality effect in those markets, you know, be it consumer or, or sort of business adoption, if you think about the volume, so at Trustpilot alone. We're now at a stage where a customer is leaving a, a review through our platform every single second. Yeah. So in 2020, there were, I think, 38 million reviews left globally. And to your point, sort of where you started, the UK and the US, they were the top two countries based on the, on the review volume. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Um, so it sounds like in that space, what, what, what you're seeing is marketers incorporating reviews into their stack into their into their playbook and it becomes part it plays a bigger part where they look at it as a as a sort of acquisition but they also look at it as a source that improve acquisitions on other channels i love that you talked about how they people are starting to incorporate that into their other marketing pieces and bringing those reviews and 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 kind of use that as as fuel uh, fuel on fire to uh to to really blow that up and are your thoughts that we're in the ANZ or the APAC region going the same direction? Yeah, most definitely. So we feel that as it happened in the more mature markets like the UK and, and the US, that network effect that I touched on mm. before, you know, we're seeing that now hit an inflection point here that where we're seeing that same trend where it's rapidly speeding up. And you think, say, just statistically last year alone, Australia and New Zealand review vol- volumes here increased year on year at least in our business by 46 percent oh wow so so that's that network effect or virality effect taking taking um taking place 
So yes, there's still a gap between the more mature markets, but that that gap is definitely narrowing. So you know we're seeing that you know, clients want to be seen as being more authentic now in Australia. So there's a lot of, about being an authentic brand. So they're becoming more open and transparent, which means that they're naturally sort of gravitate to third-party endorse platforms to, to grow that trust with their customers. And they're getting more sophisticated, to, to your point before, with how they invite their customers. So they are integrating it with the e-com platforms, their CRMs, their MarTech stacks, et cetera. And, and they're also getting more sort of sophist- more sophisticated with when they invite. So mm. they're triggering the invitations at the right stage in their buyer journeys. So all of that is is definitely taking place. And then the next step, of course, is once you sort of you start to to grow that trust, you also want to show the trust to that point around. They're getting more comfortable with showing the reviews, social proofing their messaging. You might see it yourself when you look on sites B2B or B2C. It's now pretty common that you'll see review widgets or carousels that are scrolling through with reviews, et cetera, on the homepage, or they might be on specific product pages or uh, the carts, the sign-up pages from a B2B perspective. All of that is now becoming more common. And, of course, they're showing them on their own social channels as well. But what what I'm also seeing now, which definitely happened in the US and the UK, um, is that you start to see it even on mainstream, so TV campaigns, you'll see reviews. Outdoor ads, you'll see reviews. You know, we've got numerous examples of where that happened in the UK where you step outside the tube stop and you'll see a billboard or you'll see a black cab going past and you'd see the, you know, the trust pilot, albeit discreet, but you'll see the the green stars, et cetera, on, on ads. And we're starting to see our clients sort of follow suit here. So, the, the final piece I'd say on that in terms of ANZ relative to the rest of the market or the other markets is that when you think about, about we're also starting to realise that reviews are more than just, it, it is an integral part, but it's, we're mo- it's more than just sort of a one to five star rating and how many reviews have been collected. Because as we touched on before, yes, they're important uh, quantitative metrics, but there's also all of these value, valuable qualitative insights that you can get from the reviews. Because reviews aren't necessarily just, you know, five words or one or two sentences. There's some people go to great lengths to leave you a lot of very valuable information. And all of that can be analysed, right? It can all be analysed, the, the qualitative side. You can tag things, you can look for trends, you can see how you're going. And all of that can help ultimately drive, you know, better decisions around your product development, you changing your customer service side of things, and you hardwire it into your reporting. So it becomes part of that sort of daily or weekly or monthly voice of customer insights, which is feeding back into the various departments. So we're starting to see all of those trends sort of kick off in ANZ. And as I said at the start, it's, it's really hit that inflection point where that, that virality effect is, is taking shape. Love it. I want to I wanna touch on some tips and tricks, right, of like examples and best practices that, uh, that uh, you've, you've seen. I mean, one particular question, right, that I want to ask is like, what is, what is the right number of reviews? What are the right number of stars? The reason I ask this is I, you know, I, I, I saw this meme some time ago of uh, someone deciding between two, two venues or something like that. It was like a restaurant. And then there was one which was like 4.8 stars, 28 reviews. And then there was one with like it was like 4.3 
and it was like a thousand reviews. And the person had like a s- s- skeptical look when they were looking at the 4.8 stars and deciding to yeah. go to the uh, 4.3 stars, right? Yeah. What, what is, what's going on there? Um, um, unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, there's a, we put a bit of science behind that to balance the, the quantity and the quality, mm-hmm. right? So there's certainly there's a, a formula or a methodology that, that we apply based on how many, what your star rating is. Well, we call it a, a trust score. So it is a combination of those two. It's, it's a combination of the volume, the quality, um, and also the recency, right, in terms of how the recency comes into it as well. So you look at those variables and that, that creates a trust score. And, you know, the trust score can either be bad, average, good, or excellent based on, on the, uh, the combination of those three factors. So it's, yeah, you, you rightly pointed out that people can be a little bit confused which one is which one has the greater credibility so we feel that it's uh, it's incumbent upon us to actually work that out mathematically and you know share the share that sort of science if you like with our clients as to, to how how we do it and then that ultimately will equate into their trust score which is how many how many stars they've got out of out of five. And it can be not as simple as one, two, three, four, five. You know, you could be a, a 4.2 or a 4.3 or a 4.4. It's, it gets down to that level of, of granularity. One, one interesting point that you, you brought up there was, you know, the timing. You know, if, if a company is looking at really incorporating reviews, do you recommend that they just like bulk dump reviews and they tell everybody, you know, can you please go and put some reviews on for us? Or do you advise them to kind of gradually do this and build those reviews up? What, what, is, what, what is your advice on, on that front? Yeah, it's probably more the latter uh, in terms of there's no one size fits all, but everyone's buyer journeys are different. So you, you've really got to map out. And of course, like, like any marketing, you don't want to over-index and over-ask and take that relationship and potentially break the relationship by asking too frequently. So you've got to map that out and work out where people's thresholds are. And I think as marketers, be it digital or direct, everyone's pretty good at knowing where that line is between enough but not too many. So in terms of you know how and, and, and how often, it's definitely, it depends on the product that you're selling or the service that you're selling. But there's two types of reviews and, and you do get a double a double bite at reviews in some cases if you're selling a product in that you can ask them for what was the service like whilst they were buying. So either that, be that either in person or be that, of course, as it's been for the last two years online, how was that buyer journey when they were sourcing the information, looking for the various sort of social proofing, all the pieces that, that actually go in, of that equation that go into making a purchase? What was that, that service review like? And even down to the transaction itself. Right? And then, of course, you've, if you're actually buying a product, you could then have a second bite at that and you could ask the consumer once they've got the product, whatever that may be, and started to use it, so let's just say it's um, it's part of the Martech stack. So there's a whole purchasing side. Give us a, a rating and leave your comments on, on that side of it. But once you've actually used that product, let's say you've used it for a month or two or however long you think is relevant, you can then ask them for a product review. And that product review can get down to the individual attributes about how easy was it to use, what was the quality like, you know, all the elements of, of the product itself. 
So it's not just one or the other, it's, it's sort of a combination. And I think you've just got to think about the, the customer experience ultimately is when, is when is the right time to send that second product review in terms of, and if you think about service side in a B2B context, you buy a service and um, you purchase that service, you use it, but if it's ongoing, you know, is it twice a year that you're going to ask them? Is it after particular stages or events in terms of how they're transacting with you? You've got to get through, as I said before, and just sort of map all of that out and work out when the ideal triggers are. But the important the important piece there is, you know, you should be integrating all of this into your system so it's it's set and forget. You don't have to manually sort of send send the reviews. It's all hardwired into your system, and it's just triggering at those those important times. Yeah, that's that, that's correct. And I think you know, I think it's also, and this is even applicable to large or like organizations who are selling to enterprise, right? Because they all are measuring NPS, and they're all measuring you know elements that that dictates where the client is or the customer is, and and I think you know because a lot of companies who are selling to enterprise are like, mm, you know, should we or should we not? But really, or, or can we automate it? Can we put a system around it? And they're like, oh, no, these are very sensitive or complex environments. But if, I feel like if you have the right systems in place, even at that enterprise stage, you can automate a lot of these things. This is this is, this is is great. I, I, I love this. I have a few rapid fire questions that I want to ask you. Um, Cameron, but before I do that, is there anything else on on what we've talked about? We've talked about you know kind of what what is happening in the UK. We've talked about some examples. We talked about how B two B marketers should think about reviews. Is there anything else on this on this topic that you think it's important for us to cover that I maybe didn't ask? Yeah, I think so. We touched on case studies mm. before in terms of you know sometimes we rely on too few as B two B marketers. We we rely on too few, and I think. You know, when you think about reviews, because in open platforms like Trustpilot, every single client is a mini case study in the sense that you, know, you can go onto their profile page and you can have a look at, at how they're performing. So in an open review platform. So you go onto their profile pages, you can see how they're going. At a high level, you could look at their um, you could look at you know the basics like their score, how many reviews have been left, how they respond to those reviews, either good or bad. And then you can click through sort of further into this business transparency page, which is all about being open and transparent. And you can go to start to drill down in terms of the methods. It will show you the methods that they're using to collect reviews. So what percentage of those reviews are organic, invited, or automated, where it's just part of their system? How often they flag a review? How long it takes before they respond to potentially a negative review? Is it within a day? Is it within a week, etc.? So, if you think about your competitors or your particular category that you're in, if you jump on, say, the Trustpilot, um, the Trustpilot consumer website, you can search by category or business, and you've got all of that information where there are little mini case studies as to to how they're using reviews and integrating it as part of their their overall sort of user generated content strategy. Got it. Got it. That's a that's an awesome tip for uh, for for people to go and check out. I, I didn't know that. That sounds that sounds a really um, handy feature to, uh, to to check out. Now, thank you very much for that. Let's do some rapid fire questions, shall we? It's far away. Let's do it. So, the first thing that I want to ask you is, what is one resource? It could be a book, a, a blog, a podcast, or a talk 
that fundamentally changed the way you work or live today? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll probably go. I touched on books earlier, so I'll go with a book, and it's one called Atomic Habits, and the author is James Clear. Looks like you know awesome it. Awesome read. Awesome read. Yeah. So you know what it's about then. It's it's the power of marginal gains, or it's really a system that helps you get better by 1% every day. And I don't think it necessarily changed the way I, I work or live, because I've always subscribed to that that theory that, you know, going back as far as sort of playing competitive sport where you always had your coaches drum into you, do the one percenters, do the one percenters, it keeps ringing through your ears. So I don't think it changed me, but but what it's done is it, it's provided, the book provides a lot of proof points or a bit of a framework for that you can pass on to others as to the value of it. So there's some really great examples in there, like the, the British cycling coach that came in just prior to the, the 2008 Beijing Olympics and he took a team that was the worst, one of the worst performing teams that never won anything to the next decade being the best performing team. And it goes into great detail about the, the 1% improvements that he was making across the team and the level of detail every single day. So I love that book. It's probably now my most gifted book. I love that. Yeah, it is. It is an amazing book. And, and you're right. That story, the, the cyclist, like improve a little bit here and improve a little bit there and, you know, put them all together and it blows up. That's uh, that's a great book and I, I completely agree with you. Um, question number two, if you could give one piece of advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? Yeah, I think as we go into next year, 2022, I know it's been a long time, but don't forget the power of spending face-to-face time with your clients, your partner network, suppliers and, and of course your team so i think it's it's really take the best parts of what you did prior to COVID, and i know that that is sort of drawing on a couple of years ago now but then blend that with the best parts of, of what you learned during the past 18 months to two years in terms of the efficiencies etc so i suppose my advice is don't overcorrect one way or the other but take the best best of both yeah good good one good one um question number three who are some of the influencers that you follow in the in the sales and marketing space? Yeah, so I've, I've been most of my career in SaaS. So one of my favorite books is From Impossible to Inevitable. And I've, I've been following one of the co-authors since reading that book, a, a chap by the name of Aaron Ross. As I really rate his, his sort of views and his experience, it's not just, it's not just an author, but he's been a practitioner as well. So how he's his views on SaaS and, and other sort of hyper growth companies and how to build a predictable predictable revenue stream. So that that's one I'd recommend um, if you're in the SaaS space or or you're in a high growth business. And the other one I'd say is for for marketing, it has to be uh, Mark Ritson. So he's a he's an ex Melbourne Business School professor. He now runs these these mini uh, MBAs for marketers. And what I really enjoy about Mark is he, he's a straight shooter. He says what either people are thinking or, importantly, what they're not because he often takes the, the opposite side to conventional marketing thinking. And I really like the fact that he's a firm believer in the power of brand, brand building, which is which I think is often neglected now. Yeah, very true. I mean, big, big fan of Ritson as well. He's, uh, he's definitely a sharpshooter. That's, uh, that's, that's probably a, the, his most uh, clear attribute. Last one, last one. What's what's something that excites you about B2B today? I'm like most people that have come from sales and marketing or are in sales and marketing in that I'm probably, I'm an optimist at heart, so I'm pretty easily excited. 
But one that stands out for me probably during, of course, everyone talks about the last you know, 12 to two years or so, so 12 months to two years, it's, it's probably, you know, during COVID, the relationships between tech integration partners, I think that that's now even stronger than it was beforehand. So there's been a, a reliance on each other to, to build and solidify relationships and to build better solutions. So I think we're now seeing that this cadence is, is actually started to fast track where businesses are getting together and they're starting to create better solutions with the power of two businesses rather than just one. So I think there's a there's a greater cadence, and but there's also a greater sense of community amongst sort of partner networks in the tech space. So that's just not in our case. I think it's across the board, but I've, I've seen a lot of goodwill and some very creative strategic alliances that are now making sort of the end users' lives much easier, which I think is is ultimately the, the main goal. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. I, I love that. And on that note, this has been an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed the chat. I think you you've brought a, a a fresh perspective on certain things, especially in especially on trust and reviews that is not widely adopted just yet in the uh, in the ANZ market. So I, I really appreciate your time and, and thank you very much for uh, for coming on, Cameron. My pleasure, Shane. Thanks for the invitation. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the pod with a friend. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks again for all the support. We're looking forward to seeing you again in the next one.